You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you're here as always. And if this is the first time that you've ever tuned in, welcome. There's a lot of shows out there. I am honored that you found this one, but I'm not surprised because this week I'm speaking with an amazing guest. He is a best-selling author and next-generation thought leader. His name is Coot Blackson, and he's joining me to discuss his latest book, The Magic of Surrender. And that's really what this conversation is about. It's about asking yourself those deeper level questions and surrendering to the truth that comes up through that process. It's not easy. It's not necessarily fun, but I think it's essential if you want to live a truly authentic and joy-filled life. And something that struck me um, that Coot said was that you know he helps people find freedom, and it's freedom from their own conditioning, their own past conditioning. As we grow up, we have to protect ourselves from bullies and and criticism and just the the world at large. And so we we build up these walls and we build up these personas, and we think that that is what's going to bring us love and acceptance. And you know, you get into your 30s and 40s, and you start to realize, you know, hey, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so I think that that truly is a crucial point where you can kind of look into the mirror and figure out who you really are and then make a change. You know, even if, you, even if you're older than that, even if you're in your 70s, 80s, there's still time. I think that that's an essential and valuable practice to engage in. And here is where you start, you know, this conversation with Coot. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you get a ton out of it. If you do, please share with a friend and please keep those reviews on Apple Podcasts coming. Enjoy this episode with Coot Blackson. Well, hello, cute. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I want to dive in with a heavier question, a harder oh. question, maybe. Oh, um, I'm excited. I know you can handle it. Uh, <laughs> what would you say is at the core of your work, and how did that come to be? Um, for me, the core of my work is about freedom, really. Um, freedom and helping people be- become free. Um to me, real freedom is to be connected to what we really are, who we really are. But in so many ways, I think we're looking for things outside of ourselves in the world to give us that sense of freedom, to give us that sense of confidence, to give us that sense of power. But I really feel that um, the world is changing. The world is transitory. The world is temporary. When we place our sense of freedom in things outside of ourselves, we're not really free. We simply become slaves to the things outside. And so, um, you know, from the moment we're born as children, I really believe we're born free. We're born in touch with that source. We're born in touch with that essence. We're born in touch with our true nature. If you look at a child, the child is, you know, before they get conditioned, will jump on the table. They don't care. They'll sing. They'll shout. They don't care if they're not Celine Dion or uh, Bruno Mars or Lady Gaga. They'll just sing. They don't care. They're just free. You know, yeah. they'll run up to someone and hug them. They don't care if they're black, they're white, they're good, they're bad. They're, we're in touch with a sense of freedom where we'll just be open and love. And yet we begin to disconnect from that freedom. We begin to lose touch with that freedom. Um, We're born, these free beings, in touch with source. We're born into a kind of preset framework, a preconditioned framework that's passed down through generations. We meet our parents and they're conditioned by their parents and their parents and their parents. And so we're born into this framework. We're born into maybe a framework of dysfunction to a degree. We all, as children, also face trauma. 
some kind of trauma. Maybe there's pain, maybe there's abuse, maybe there's uh, neglect, maybe there's mental health issues with parents, maybe there's uh, addiction in some way. Maybe our parents were nice people, but they just weren't emotionally present and available or they didn't know how to take care of us or meet our needs. And so in some ways it was very painful. So a couple of things happened. The first thing is we begin to shut down, disconnect and not feel and and develop all sorts of mechanisms to not feel the pain in our environment. And so as a result, we begin to suppress our feelings, suppress our emotions, and we start building up layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of of, shall we say, unfelt, unprocessed feelings and emotions. And then that sense of our true essence, our true light, our true freedom kind of gets buried underneath the layers of unfelt emotion that we've been suppressing. Then we start learning to go into the world and we start learning the sense of who do I need to be in order to be loved? Maybe we were a certain way and dad looked at us a certain way. Maybe we were a certain way and we were told, girls don't act that way, boys don't act that way, boys don't cry. And so we started to shut down parts of ourselves in order to get love, validation, approval. We began to develop all sorts of roles and masks and personas and, uh, uh, shall we say, characters that we that started to limit us, that started to limit our true authentic nature, our true expression. And we, we started to become this version of ourselves that we felt we needed to be to, to fit in and get love and be validated. And so the sense of freedom that we essentially are starts getting locked inside of uh, the patterns of conditioning that we've built up. And so for me, my work is really about helping people question who they are, like is who you are, who you really are, or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be based on programming and childhood and experiences. And the degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. We're not able to be in the present moment. We're not able to be fully who we are. And I think so many of us, we feel we become this version of ourselves and we say, well, no, no, this is just who I am. I'm just this person. I'm just this way. I'm just shy. I'm just quiet. I'm just independent. And we don't realize that we've been conditioned. And so I think one of the first steps is to really begin realizing the condition and to also question our conditioning. And so my work is really about freedom and helping people connect to who they are um, and live that fully and freely and share their gifts with the world. So that's a bit of bit of my work. I love that. I love that. So beautifully said. It's it's surprising to me that you do find so many people to work with, even at the higher echelons, because it sounds like it's a very terrifying thing to take on. I don't want to question who I am. I don't want to, you know, break down all of these walls that I've built to protect myself. But that's what you're saying is the key to true happiness, to true freedom. How do you find that people are receptive to this and even realize that there's an issue going on? Is it just they're completely unhappy or how do they come come to your work? Um, people come to my work, a lot of people come to my work because uh, maybe they have achieved what they thought they wanted to achieve. Um, and that can be a very challenging or even depressing thing. When you actually achieve everything you thought you wanted to achieve and you're still not happy and you're still miserable and you still feel like something's missing, 
it, it's it's it can be painful because when you're at least when you're in the pursuit of the goal, dream, desire, you have this idea or this illusion or this perception that oh, you know, when I get there, I'm going to be fulfilled and happy, and that entire journey you're constantly chasing it. But when you get the thing you thought you wanted and you're still not happy, now what? And so a lot of clients came to me over the years because they achieved it. They got the house, they got the car, they got, they built, they became billionaires, they became millionaires, they achieved that career and they weren't feeling fulfilled. And they would come to me and say, could I have everything? I have every reason to be happy and I'm not fulfilled. I'm not sure what's missing. I'm not sure what my purpose is. I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or could I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm very competent in this area of my life in business or my career, but, I'm screwing up my relationships and my wife's about to leave me. And what they started to see is the very thing that perhaps helped them become successful, those defense mechanisms that helped them become successful in the world is the very thing that is now blocking their hearts and their ability to connect in terms of intimacy and relationship and love and with their children. And so uh, many of the defense mechanisms that we learn to develop from a very young age it helps us when we, 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 we were, let's say, five or eight or 10 years old. But once we reach 25, 30, 21, 35, 40, uh, it begins to limit us. And so uh, the very same thing that helped protect us starts to limit us now. And so I think a lot of people reach a certain point where they're repeating the same patterns. They're attracting the same people in relationship different name, different person, same pattern. Uh, or they're cycling in similar patterns in relationships, at work, attracting certain situations, toxic uh, relationship. And, and so they're beginning at that point to question, wait a second, so, mm-hmm. something is no longer working and I can't quite see it. And sometimes, you know, the eyeball can't see itself. And I think when, when people feel pain in a certain area and they're willing to be honest about that and they feel pain enough, then they begin to to question themselves and they realize something's not working. I think pain is a beautiful gift. Pain is actually a blessing. Pain is is to be celebrated. I I love pain. That doesn't mean I seek pain. It doesn't mean I, I look for pain. But I really think that in our culture, we tend to do everything we can to avoid pain. But I really believe that pain is our friend. Pain is a blessing. Pain is showing us where something is off. Pain is showing us where we're not in touch with a deeper truth, where we're lying to ourselves, where we're disconnected from something. Pain is simply a messenger. What we tend to do in our culture is we distract ourselves from the pain. We we drink it away, sex it away, smoke it away, you know, uh, social media, it's away, whatever it is to not feel the pain. And then the situation keeps continuing. And so I think if we're willing to change our relationship to the pain, so if you feel pain in your life, really, rather than distracting, sit with the pain and go, what is the message of this pain? What is the the, what is this pain trying to tell me? What is it trying to show me? What What is it trying to bring my attention to? And I think many times, one of the ways that we keep ourselves stuck are all the ways we lie to ourselves. In so many ways, we lie to ourselves. We don't even know we're lying to ourselves because we think that the lie that we're telling is actually the truth based on who we are and our survival mechanisms. Like, oh, this is, this is what I really believe. This is who I really am. And so we have to start becoming aware that in many ways, we're lying to ourselves. The pain, the pain that we feel 
can be a signal that we're lying to ourselves. And so we lie to ourselves about staying in a relationship that we know isn't right, isn't aligned, isn't authentic, isn't true. We know we're no longer in love, but we stay in it because it's safe, it's comfortable, it's, we, it's, there's a familiarity, we feel guilty, maybe what will people think around us? You know, we've invested so much into the relationship, so we stay in something that is not truly alive, is not truly resonant in our souls, in our hearts, or we work a job just for survival that we hate, and it kills our souls and it kills mm -hmm. our hearts. And we know deep inside that this is not the reason for why we were put on this planet. And, and it, it kind of erodes away at our souls, at our psyche. And so I think one of the first places it's important to start, and I have my clients start, is really looking at what, what lies am I telling myself? And really sitting with that question. What lies am I, what, what am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes the ways we keep ourselves stuck is we, we play this game of confusion. You know, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm not I'm not clear. I'm not sure. I'm confused. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if this relationship is right for me or should I stay or should I? When deep down we do know we have a afraid of the consequences of, of, of owning our truth. We're afraid of the consequence of what will happen if I truly acknowledge my truth. One thing I would tell people, I, I encourage people is take the pressure off of yourself of actually having to take any action based on your truth. Because sometimes we're afraid of truly allowing ourselves to acknowledge the truth because we're afraid if I really acknowledge the, the, the truth, I have to do something about it. I'm afraid of what that means. So I'll kind of keep myself in a fog. I yeah. think if we can take the pressure off and say, you don't have to do anything, just acknowledge the truth. No action, no pressure, uh, nothing has to be done. Just a gentle, honest, raw acknowledgement of this is how I feel. This is what's going on. This is my truth. When I'm really honest, this, this is what's present for me. I, I think that's a beginning in terms of where people can, can really start. I love that. But then how do, you, how do you navigate people figuring out if they're lying to themselves or if they're just emotional in that moment? You know, they got in a fight or they had a bad day at the job and they're like, I can't do this anymore. This isn't in alignment with who I really am and my purpose. Or are they just yeah. having a bad day? Is, is this yeah. a process? Like every day you have to kind of tune in and ask yourself Look, if you're on the right path. It's a good question. I, I think when you're feeling a consistent pain, where it's just like consistent, it's a consistent, some, and it's not just like a mood in the moment, but it's consistent over time. Yeah. That's probably showing you mm, there's, there's something deeper here. It's not just a momentary mood of I feel like this or I feel like that. Now, connected to that, part of a question inside of your question is, is also like if someone is lying to themselves, how do they actually know they're lying to themselves if they're lying to themselves? Right. Yeah. How do you even know if you're lying to yourself, if you're lying to yourself? So one way is you will feel some emotional pain. That's, a, that's if you're not sure whether you're lying to yourself or not. And you think, well, no, everything's fine. Or is it just a mood? You will feel emotional pain. So you might say, no, I'm not lying to myself, but I'm freaking depressed all the time. And I've been depressed for a year or two or three or whatever it is the fact that you're feeling this emotional pain is a signal probably possibly that you might there might be something that you're not honoring within your soul within your heart within yourself that i would invite you to look at and so the emotional pain depression resentment you know that that feeling um it might manifest 
as uh, a physical symptom. For instance, uh, shoulder ache, back ache, neck ache, some physical ailment where sure. what we're suppressing, the truth, the, the real truth that we're suppressing, that we're not consciously allowing ourselves to acknowledge, manifests unconsciously in our physiology and in our body. And the pain in our body is really our deep, the deeper part of us communicating to us through the wisdom of our body. That could be uh, another sign. Uh, consistently too, it might manifest uh, long-term in some type of disease, you know, uh, a cancer, uh, a thyroid, some disease uh, where it manifests through the body. And our body is also trying to communicate to us because the mind and the body and how we feel are so interconnected and connected. It right. might manifest to um, where you will attract or you'll have a tendency to attract people into your life that play out, act out, express your suppressed feeling, uh, the, the suppressed truth of what you're really feeling. And so let's say you're lying to yourself about something, you're feeling frustrated, depressed, angry, and you seem to say, well, I keep attracting angry people in my life. Well, why do I keep attracting people that are depressed? It's like, they're depressed. I'm fine. I'm not mm -hmm. lying to my... But you, and, and so the, the unacknowledged truth of what you're feeling gets projected and you keep manifesting people that reflecting that back to you. And so if you think, well, you're not lying to yourself, but you keep attracting people that are depressed and unhappy and resentful and angry about their situation, job, relationship, that might be a signal to go, wait a second, look, look deeper inside. And so these to me are a few clues that you can use to really track, especially if it happens consistently, it's probably more than just a momentary mood. You know, feelings come and go. Yeah. But when, it, when there's a consistency to them, that cycle over and over and over again, that's usually a sign that there's, there's something deeper. There's something deeper. And I really believe that the truth uh, sets us free. You know, yeah. And we might think, well, if I don't deal with the truth, then I'm free and clear. But I believe if you don't deal with the truth at some point, you will have to deal with the truth in how you feel, in your body, or ultimately in your life. You yeah. won't have to deal with it in the life you're living. And so uh, even though it takes courage to own the truth, to me, that's talk about freedom. That is the freedom. This episode is also brought to you by Lugs. Lugs is a brand you probably remember. It started back in the 90s, but they've never wavered from having their pulse on what is stylish and also realistically priced. I wore the boots today on my trip to Costco because why else do you leave the house? And it was so cute. It totally uplifted my entire outfit. I felt like I was kind of on a runway in a lot of ways because it was just so chic and so cute with what I was wearing. And I was actually wearing leggings with it. So it's surprising that I felt so, I don't know, so chic, but that's kind of the beauty of the brand. And if you use my code unstressed, that will save you 30% off at lugs.com. That's L-U-G-Z.com. And just something that I want you to remember about the brand. It's a great brand, not just for you, but for the entire family. So they're stylish, realistically priced, and great for everyday wear. And one another thing that I think is really important is that they're really comfortable. So not only are you going to feel cute when you go out to the grocery store or wherever you're going, but you're also going to feel comfortable and chic at the same time. So be sure to head on over to lugs.com and use my code unstressed to save. That yeah. is the real freedom. Yeah. And it seems like surrendering to that uh, is, is the theme. And it's certainly the theme today. Let's talk about your new book, The Magic of Surrender. Is this topic, you know, 
breaking past the lies, getting to true freedom. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is heavy in the book? And why did you want to put out this particular book at this particular time? Um, let's see. I- I'll be honest. Th- this was not the book I thought I was going to write. This was not the book I planned to write. This was not the book I had an intention to write. It was the book that happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) I had all of these plans for the book that I thought I was going to write. I even had an entire wall filled with a whiteboard with ideas and titles and things I thought would sell, things I thought would be bestsellers, things I thought would be amazing, things I thought publishers would want, people would want, readers would want to read. And then... You know, that feeling when you're trying to like make something into something and you're pushing a little hard. And I was trying to like, okay, if I can make this into that, it would be, and it just wasn't syncing up. And one day I just sat there kind of giving up and I was looking at all of the ideas I had and I sat there going, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. And I looked at the wall and of everything I wrote, the word that stuck out was surrender. It was like, huh? It, it stuck out so clear and it was literally as though the soul of the book just came alive. It came alive for me. And I knew in that moment that the book I was supposed to write was on surrender. That I, I knew. And so I had to go through a process of surrendering to the book about surrender because sometimes we have an idea of who we think we should be, an idea of the book we think we should be writing. And so once I surrendered to the book that was seeking to be written, it had a soul of its own and it just began to flow, began to reveal itself. Now, I think the original inspiration of the book that I didn't realize in the moment started many years before, where in 2016, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And at the end of 2016, I started to fly back and forth from LA where I was living to London uh, to be with my mother and to, my plan was I was gonna fly back. I was going back every month. I was gonna fly back. I was gonna give her supplements. I was gonna heal her. I was gonna get her better. That was my plan. After probably a month or so, I realized she was going to die. And it was incredibly difficult. It was incredibly challenging. Uh, It forced me to surrender in a certain way. But that deep acceptance and surrender freed me up for the next 10, 11 months to really just be with her, you know, be with her so present, so fully, because I realized every moment literally could be, was going to be the last moment I had every conversation, every time she made tea, every time we just sat and talked, this could be it. And so it became the most um, incredible, challenging, but incredible year of my entire life to, to be able to just be with her and be present with her and love her. And halfway in this process, about six months into it, the doctors officially said, basically in a nice way, you're going to die. So get your affairs in order. And I remember when I heard that it really hit me. I'd been making peace with my mother's death, but it really hit me. And I felt mm-hmm. such a, a depth of, of, of grief. And I looked at my mother and I think this is where the seed of the book was planted. I didn't realize it. I looked at my mother and I said, are you afraid? You know, it's one thing to be all positive when life is fine, but when you're faced with your mortality and your death in reality, it's another ball game. And so I looked at her and I said, are you afraid? And she said, I'm not afraid. And I said, why? She said, I know I'm not just this body, that what I am is a soul that's eternal, 
Mm. I was like, wow. And she was so convicted. And I looked at her and I said, is there anything that I can do for you in your final days? Like, what can I do? What do you need? What do you want? I just want to be, I wanted to be a good son. And she looked at me and she said, again, with full faith and conviction, there's nothing I want. There's nothing I need. All I want is what God wants for my life. And the simplicity of what she said hit me because in that moment, I realized, you know, during this entire time, she, she didn't cry. She was a very emotional person, didn't cry, didn't complain, didn't feel like a victim, wasn't mad. She was in complete, like for real, not a spiritual bypass. She was in total okay. peace. And what I realized was she wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was completely surrendered to the highest unfolding of life. And I saw that she was in complete surrender. And I realized that she had lived surrender her whole life. And when she passed away, and I was thinking about the book, I thought it was something else. And I started to reflect on many of the people that I that have inspired me. Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, all these people at some moment, they got to a point where they had to surrender themselves. They had to surrender themselves to a vision that was bigger than themselves. They had to surrender themselves to life. They had to surrender themselves and maybe their life didn't go in the direction that they thought, but in many ways their life went beyond what they could have imagined and have planned for themselves. And so surrender for me is often, I think there's a misconception of surrender in our culture. Uh, there's a myth where we think that surrender is weak, surrender is passive, that if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat, you'll be left behind, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, your desires. And really what I'm saying is, if you surrender, what if you got more? What if you actually got more than you could have planned? You could have written on your poster board, you could have written in your journal. What if life gave you more, more joy, more, like, more than you could imagine for yourself? And so to surrender is to let go of what's no longer aligned, what's no longer a vibrational match, what's no longer working. To surrender is to stop trying to control every little thing in your life that we're really not in control over. And I think if last year and this year have taught us anything, we're starting to see we're not as in control as we may have made up in our minds. We're beginning to see that with this pandemic and life. And so it's quite humbling. I think we are in a global initiation process, spiritual process as a humanity of, be, of, of learning surrender. We're in a surrender seminar. Like right it or now. not, right. Like, like it or not, we're in a surrender process. We're in a surrender seminar. And so to surrender is to stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be, how life should be, how we should be, how a relationship should be, is to let go of the idea of who we think we should be and the life we think we should be living so that we can, I think, open to the life that is actually authentically seeking to express mm -hmm. through us. Then I think we tap into, because we're truly open, then we tap into uh, another dimension of power. And so surrender is going beyond or it's, to me, is a shift from an old paradigm. I think we've been taught in the old paradigm uh, an ego-based model of living life, an ego-based model of manifesting and making things happen and creating life, even in self-help and the spiritual thing. Oh, yeah. Make it happen and you crush it and do it and force it. And, you know, you're in charge. And to a degree, you can manifest that way. But I think what we end up manifesting is limited because 
the mechanism of the mind and the personality and the ego that we use to manifest is limited. And so how can what we create not be limited? So you might manifest what you thought you wanted to be dissatisfied. You might manifest what you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times the goals that we project for ourselves from this old paradigm uh, uh, are really projections of unmet uh, unmet needs many times from childhood, mm-hmm. thinking, well, if I can achieve that thing and be famous and get the car and that house, then I'm going to finally be enough and valuable and secure in ways I weren't. And it's never fulfilling that way. So the shift is from this ego-based model of creating life, which asks the question, what do I want? That's the old question. What do I want? But the mm-hmm. I is conditioned. To me, the new question in the paradigm of surrender is really inviting people to ask, wait a second, what is it, what is it that life wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to manifest through me? What is it that, what is the deepest impulse of my soul that is seeking to express and to be still, to feel that, to align with that? Sometimes it may not be what we think it is. It might be something completely different, but to really align with that and then align your actions, your thoughts, your feelings, your goals, your resources, your time around the authentic impulse of one's soul. That's when I feel we are in surrender, we're in the flow. And I think that's when life, because we're in the flow, life begins to, shall we say, support us. Nature begins to support us. And synchronicities and magic happen. So to me, that's that's what it is to live surrender. I love that. And I completely agree. I have felt that in my own mm-hmm. life. My question is, w- with the woman listening to this, who probably has young kids running around and she's trying to keep it all together, mm-hmm. how do you practically put this into place? Because I got to tell you, most people don't think this way. Most people are so tied into consumerism and getting that next thing, and like that thing, you know, that next promotion. And that's really their reality. They, they don't understand about dropping into other paradigms, into other vibrations, into other concepts of reality, I think like the people in our world and our circles do. So what would you say to her who she's tuning in? She's like, what is this? <laughs> How can she start to kind of drop into that? Because once you do, like I'm telling you, like, yeah, it's magic, magic it's magic. happens in your magic life. Happened. It, Look, it really I invite, does. I would invite people to think about all of the things you were sure. Okay. For the, let, let's take a practical example for the woman. Okay. If you think about all the relationships in your past, right? And think about those relationships that you really wanted to make. You're like, you, you, you were sure you found the one and you wanted that to be it. You were like, this is it. I, I see you saw your life with this person and kids and everything. You couldn't imagine not being with that person. And then you broke up and you were devastated. You didn't know how you were gonna recover. But now years later, you have recovered and you look back now at that situation, that guy, that, that, that relationship. And today you think to yourself, thank God. Thank <laughs> God that didn't happen. Like, thank God that didn't happen. But in the moment, you can imagine. And so think about that for a moment. Like in a moment, we were so sure about what we thought something was, but it turned out to not be. And we're so grateful that it really wasn't. So I would invite people to really just take a step back you know, and question, take a step back. Because sometimes things not working out or go going according to our plan is actually a blessing. 
is actually a gift. We're not always able to see it in the moment. We're not always able to appreciate it or understand in the moment, you know? So I just want to make clear that surrender doesn't mean being lazy, right? Surrender doesn't mean you just sit there and do nothing. Surrender doesn't mean you sit there and just let shit fall apart. Surrender doesn't mean you sit there. No, that's laziness. That's not surrender. To me, surrender is you feel into your deepest truth, at least the deepest truth that you're able to feel in this moment. And you own that and you go in that direction. And as you go in that direction, you give 100%. You do everything you can. You give all of yourself. You give everything you can, but doing your best to not get attached to to, to the end result or the outcome. Because mm. many times when we get attached, this is how it's got to be. And this is then we, we limit life and we're not able to enjoy the process. We're not able to enjoy the moment. But sometimes the journey that we go on towards the goal is really what the process is really about. And it's more about the journey and who we become in the process than the end result of the relationship, of the job, of the situation is who, who we actually become and the lessons that we learn along the way that is actually part of what life uses to prepare us so that we can become more ready for what's next. So don't think that what you think is, is actually it. It just might be a necessary stepping stone to your next level. So I would invite people to also think about too, if you think about things that didn't work out also, right? Didn't go according to plan, didn't work out. But when you look back now, that actually worked out Mm-hmm. better than you thought that yeah, actually worked out mm-hmm. better than like wow you went here this didn't happen but oh this thing happened and boom or things that didn't work out and maybe didn't work out in the moment better than you thought but from perspective you looking back you realize that that failure that thing falling apart that shit not happening that thing not happening didn't work out you you, you were down on yourself but you now you see that if you didn't if if you didn't fail, then you wouldn't have met that person and then you wouldn't have met that person and maybe you wouldn't have met the person you're with today uh, or the love of your life or you wouldn't have the child or you wouldn't have met your best friend or your business partner. And so I think it's so important that when things, so you give 100%, you do your best, you, 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 you throw yourself into it, you get, and then you let go. Mm. And when things don't maybe go according to plan, Rather than, I would invite people, rather than trying to so quickly make a meaning about what this means and what this doesn't mean, it means this and it means that. It means this and it means that. The mechanism with which we use to to decipher meaning about a situation is also limited because it is rooted and based in, in a conditioned identity from our past. So the meaning that we tend to make up about our reality today is really a projection of our past. So it's limited to our past. And so we're limited in the meaning we can make up. And, and so that's why I tell people, don't be so quick to make up a meaning about what something is or isn't when things don't work out. Here's, to me, here's a key to surrender is just be curious. Just practice curiosity. And rather than going, it means this or it means that, just ask yourself, what could this mean? What else could this mean? what better thing could be seeking to happen. I think when we're, when we're curious, uh, we are open and we're available to possibilities. So many of us, 
we're not open. We're like, no, it's got to be. It's, we're not truly open to life. And then we limit life and many times blessings and people try to give us things, but we're like, no, no, it's got to be, it's got to look like that. So the willingness to be open, the willingness to be curious, the willingness to be available, the willingness to allow life to lead you to really like, what would it be to allow life to, to show you and life to lead you? And, and I think women are so naturally, uh, not that guys can't, but we're a little more dense, right? I think women are so, are so much more naturally, energetically attuned, uh, so much more naturally, emotionally sensitized and, and sensitive. You know, you you as women, you you tend to feel things and sense things and know things and and that's kind of like unseen, unfelt. I don't know how you know some of the stuff that you know, but you just like know stuff. And so <laughs> I would invite every woman to really, on a daily basis, trust that knowing more and more and more. Trust that knowing. Don't question it. Trust it. Trust that sensing. Trust that feeling. That is part of your soul nudging you and guiding you. And, and so just keep surrendering to that and trusting that a little bit more. I love that. I love that. And did all of this knowledge, all of these insights that you have, did it come from a particular person in your life or a series of teachers, or did it come from just getting quiet and tuning into your soul? Like, what would you say uh, that's more impact, a human or spirit on your life? Uh, <laughs> um, it's interesting because uh, I think the spirit can manifest through humans, mm -hmm. you know? And so in a sense, on one level, really, it's an interesting question because they're one and the same at that deeper level, right? And, and But what I will say is, look, my journey was um, my first memories as a young boy. Uh, I was born in Ghana, West Africa, father's from Ghana, mother's Japanese, grew up in London. But my first memories as a kid was being a chubby kid, being lost in the crowd, and I'm seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor hands and legs crippled, and she picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face, and stands up. Mm. And so week after week, I grew up in this spiritual environment, so to speak, but week after week, I grew up seeing blind people. So the same man whose sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up, you're not sick. Stand up, boom. And she would stand up, or someone would come in, in crutches, and he put his hands on their head and say, throw the crutches away and they would start walking and blind would start seeing. And so literally week after week, I grew up thinking this was normal. Like this is what everybody experienced. But this was my father. He was known as the miracle man of Africa. And so I grew up around a kind of spiritual environment as a young, as a young boy. But I always felt a, a deep desire to... Um, I felt people suffering very deeply, right? I was a very sensitive kid. So I, I, I felt a deep desire to somehow alleviate people's suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And so for me, it began with questioning, like, what is life about? What's the purpose of life? Why do some people who seem to, to have everything seem to be miserable? And why do some people who seem to have nothing seem to be kind of fulfilled and happy? And I didn't grow up with a lot. And my father's congregation didn't have a lot, yet they seemed to be so happy and generous and kind and fulfilled. And, and so... I started questioning, like, is, is it just, 
I remember these questions as a kid, eight, nine, 10 years old. Is, is life just to wake up, you know, go to sleep, make money and then die? Like surely there's got to be more than this. Like why the hell are we born? What is, what is this existence about? And so that drove me deep into studying at a very young age, reading at a very young age. I've read my first self-help book at age eight. From eight to 18, I must have read seven, 700, 800 books on psychology, spirituality, just trying to um, understand the nature mm-hmm. of existence. And so when I was age eight, uh, I started speaking in my father's churches. When I was age 14, I was ordained as a minister and I was kind of given the mandate to take over my father's organization, which was huge at the time, hundreds of thousands of people. But I knew in my soul that that wasn't right. I knew in my soul that that was not my path. It wasn't through religion or the church or some organization. I knew that 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 wasn't my path. And so it took me about four years of deep soul searching and and just the willingness to be honest with myself about what I felt inside. It was terrifying. It was scary because my fear was if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to be who I really was, if I dared to tell my father how I really felt, if I dared to be myself, then I won't be loved. I'm going to be outcast. I'm, I'm going to lose the relationship with everybody, especially my father. And so it was, it was deeply scary for me, uh, but when I turned 18, uh, I finally had that conversation. We didn't speak for two years, which mm-hmm. is a whole other story. And uh, it was challenging, you know? It was, it was a really challenging process. So for me, a lot of my uh, journey has come through study, has come through just living life, you know, and meeting people and experiences of life and living and heartbreak and relationships and and, and just putting everything I have read, studied, putting it into practice and living right. it and, and sharing from that place. I think making that very difficult decision, having that conversation at the young age of 18 and then dealing with the consequences of that conversation, I mean, completely backs up your legacy of work and what you're teaching people and what you yeah. put in this book today. So I think that that is almost, you know, that is your graduation right there. I mean, I think it's so beautifully mm-hmm. done. If you hadn't gone through with that, I think, you know, people could, you know, brush off the work. Oh, it's just another self-help. But like, no, like, <laughs> you have lived it. You have suffered just like the rest of us. And so I think that that really is kind of a talisman for for the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, with everything that you're doing, um, how do you see your work evolving? I mean, you kind of mentioned, you know, the the concern of COVID and, and global warming and just how divisive social media is now. How do you see the work that you do? I mean, I think it's needed more now than ever. How do you see it evolving in the future in five, 10 years? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm open. I'm, I'm open to finding out. My prayer, my prayer more and more in life, the deeper I go, is really, uh, yeah, my real one prayer is universe, use, use me for the highest good of humanity, however that looks. And I'm really, at this stage, open and available to whatever that looks like. And so I've kind of let go of... Uh, micro planning everything and 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 projecting because many times it unfolds in ways that I could not have even imagined you know there's things I've, I've done and I'm that I, I didn't plan it just they just happen you know and so more and more I'm just focused on living in alignment and in tune with with the truth of my soul 
and following the authentic impulse and energy that guides me moment to moment. And so that's really where I'm at, you know? So I, I'm on a journey of surrender myself and seeing where's life, where and how is life seeking to manifest through me and use me and where it will lead me. And I think when we're really surrendering, we tend to find out in the process of living itself. We tend to find out. And so uh, I just really these days go, I follow the direction of the energy and the calling of my soul. And I find out in the moment. And so obviously it's to reach people and write books and impact more people and impact people at different levels. Uh, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like. Do you ever become impatient? Do I ever become impatient? I think sometimes, I think impatience for me over the years was a huge issue over the years. Uh, I, I kind of talk about it a lot uh, in my events and seminars. Um, but, but what I realized was, I remember there was a moment where many years ago I was processing the pattern of my impatience. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so impatient. You know, I go pee. I can't even wait till I finish peeing, till I flush. Uh, I, I'm putting, you know, I used to, I was like, I go, boom. I was like, I haven't even peed yet. Then I go into, you know, post office and I, you know, this is kind of funny, but I'd be like pushing the, the, the sweet old lady, like, hurry up, hurry up. I'm like, just to save two minutes, right? Like, what are you doing just to save two? Like, it's not going to make a difference in anyone's life. And so... Uh, I think for many years I lived like a uh, Formula One race car driver, just just speeding somewhere and missing life. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, and and the process of my mother's death, uh, when I got to just be with her, and I got to just sit with her, just sit with her for eight hours, hold her hand in chemo, and talk about nothing. Uh, sit with her, watching her make a cup of tea, nothing important, and just sit and be with her, taught me a lot about patience and, and savoring the moment. And I really looked at my life and saw that the only regret I really had in my life was not spending more time with my mother. You know, not spending more, more moments because I thought I had tomorrow. I thought I had, I was so impatient to get somewhere that I thought I needed to get to at a certain particular time that I missed all these moments. And I, I'll be honest, I was feel it wasn't a bad regret. It was a very inspiring regret, actually. I, I really felt like I, there were so many trips I wanted to take with my mother that I didn't take because I thought I had time. Mm -hmm. There were so many things and experiences I wanted to have with her but I thought I had time. And so in an effort to get somewhere so fast, I'd missed the everyday moments of life, you know? And, and so uh, these days I just, I do move quite fast, but these days I really do my best to be present and take in everything and savor everything and experience the moments as much as I can. And back when I was really processing a lot of my impatience, it was funny because I started to see how my impatience was running me uh, years back. And the funny thing was I, I went into this process of hurry up, hurry up, hurry up and get patient now. Hurry up and like get patient now. <laughs> you know, Dalai Lama's not impatient and Mother Teresa's not, not impatient. So I thought, and so right. hurry up and get impatient. And what I started to see was 
The issue really isn't the issue. The issue is more my relationship with the issue. And so the real shift for me happened when I actually took the focus off of the impatience because I would just get more impatient with my impatience and not being patient quick enough. And the real shift for me happened when I was able to look at my impatience and be with my impatience and hold my impatience, have a relationship with my impatience and having a relationship with my impatience transformed the impatience in a certain way. I was able to be more patient with all the ways that I was being impatient and in a strange way became more patient. Yeah. And that's really was the blessing, you know? And so sometimes there's moments I'm impatient now, and I, but, but the relationship with the pattern and the impatience is as important as the thing itself. And so there's this there's, there's space, yeah, the space. The space now. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've definitely found. That's why I asked the question because I'm just the same. I'm exactly the same. So I completely resonate with that. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Uh, and again, it's kind of a heavier one, but hey, we started that way. So let's end it out. Okay, sure. Um, with everything that you have studied and learned and lived in life, what is something that you want the woman listening to this to remember from this talk? Ooh. Um... Okay, I'm going to get a little heavy for a moment. It's something I talk about a lot, but see the woman, so I want to go a little more, but but I feel like I'm going to just give it straight, you know, and, and, and uh, look, you're going to die. We're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're going to die. Feel that for a moment. Like we're dying from the moment we're born. There's no way out of this thing called life. Death is perhaps the only guarantee. None of us know when that moment will come. Jesus died, Buddha died, Gandhi died, Mother Teresa died. Every great person died, we're going to die. Yet in many ways, we live like we have tomorrow. We live like we have forever. We live like tomorrow is guaranteed. And the fact is, it's not. And not to get too heavy or morbid, but I really feel for me, when death happens, we're like, oh, shocked, we're like, oh, such a surprise. But it comes on the label of our being when we're born. You're gonna die. And so I would just invite everyone, all of the amazing women, to, to feel your death, to, to keep it close and use it as a reminder of how precious this life is. Like feel it, make, make peace with it, um, breathe it in, take it to tea, explore it. Because if death came right now, would we be ready? Would you be ready? Would you be ready? Would you be at peace? Or would there be regrets? Things that's unsaid, unforgiven, unexpressed, uncommunicated, love that's not given. Would there be regrets? And if so, what are they? And if so, what would you need to do and express and communicate and give and share with the world so that you could die without regrets, you know? I think when, when death comes and we meet our maker, we can't go to God or whatever we believe and say, look, can I get a refund on those five years I wasted in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those two years that I didn't share my gift with the world? And I think so many of us, 
you have so many gifts. We have so many gifts, so much talent, so much art, so much creativity, so much to share with the world that we don't, and then we die. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the world right now and it's going through so many challenges and difficulties, we can look at it and get depressed and go, oh, oh shoot, whoa, whoa. What's the point of it? Or we can look at it and go, the problems and challenges are really an invitation for us to share our gifts, to share our talents, to share our love, to share our creativity. And so I think when we hold death close, we're reminded of what's truly important, of what's really real. And I think what's real and what's important more than anything is love. And as women, you are naturally, you are love. You are the essence of love. You are the embodiment of what love is. And so love fully is what's important, you know, live in a way and love in a way where there's no regrets. If there's someone you need to forgive, forgive them. If there's someone you need to apologize to, if there's someone you like, let's do this. You know, life is short. That's what I would say. Death is, death is real to the body. Life is short. The question is how are we really going to live this short and precious existence? Because it's over before we know it. All of a sudden, we're 15, then we're 21. And oh, this thing is going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Then we're 30, then we're 40, then we're 50, then 60. It's like, holy moly, now it's, it's almost over. And so what would you need to do and say and live to have no regrets? And uh, we know it, but many times we don't live it. And so I'm just inviting everyone to live it fully. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I think this conversation is the start of that for countless women tuning into the show. So thank you so much. The book is The Magic of Surrender. Coot, where can everyone find out more about you, get the book, listen to your podcast, tell us all the things. Um, Yeah, the book is out, The Magic of Surrender. It's on Amazon. You can get it there. Um, You can also go to themagicofsurrender.com, get some free gifts. I think they're still up. Uh, my website, kublaxon.com. Check out all of my content information there. Enjoy. I'm on Instagram, kublaxon. Facebook, Coop Love Now, I think it is. <laughs> Coop Blackson. Uh, one of those. And it'll be in the hi. show notes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be there. It'll, it'll definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was an incredible pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast.